just wanted to get on here real quick. Um, I had a very interesting experience at work. Um, currently, I had to change my schedule because um, being a survivor and <clears throat> being that this is my really, really my first job since my stroke. Um, I did work at Macy's, but um, that was the only seasonal. This is actually my first um, full-time position that I've been hired for. Um, I applied for 132 jobs, and this one offered me full-time, not full-time, they offered me part-time employment. And I recently had to drop it down even further because I think the um, the manager who hired me um, made a mistake in you know hiring me um, during a shift that has the most foot traffic and the most physical labor. Um, I was hired with another person and I believe that if they would have um, put that person on that shift and given me days, um, I wouldn't have had to um, constantly request that my shift be changed. And finally, I received that shift change. So I went down from working four days to only working two. And and now I'm working during day shift instead of closing at nights. Um, so I think that the manager made a bad decision when he scheduled me, but now it's fixed and I had to push for it for a while in order for it to be finally fixed. And I, you have the other side of it where people are going to look at you like, oh, you're just using... Um, your ex health experience as an excuse and that's not it um the fact is um it's very difficult to do that manual labor and to do it at such a fast pace it wouldn't have been dis difficult to me to do prior to my stroke because that's how i worked every day every day was fast paced every day was doing the work of two to three people, but, you know, not caring because all that mattered was to get the job done. But after you've had a stroke, um, there has to be more that matters. You have to take care of yourself. You have to work at your own pace, which is one thing about this job. Um, they always told me to, like, take your time. You know, it's like they tell you to take your time, but they want you to work at a faster pace. They'll tell you to take your time, but they actually mean something different. I believe that they just say those things to be, um, to be, not, to be, um, it's pretty much to CYA. Um, you have to say those things to cover your own butt. But you say those things, but you really need someone who's more productive and who's faster. 
And that's the reason why I kept asking for day shift because in day shift, in a gym, there's not a lot of people at the gym. So if you're working day shift, your pace is not as fast. And I finally received day shift, but it's going to be at, you know, expense of other people. You know, they have to cover my shift. Like I said, had the manager made the correct decision in the beginning, I wouldn't have to look like a person who's relying on their medical history to get the shift that they want. And that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to get the shift that I need in order to continue to get better to the point where I can work 40 hours with no problem. Um, I also was able to get someone a job there and it's a young gentleman and even the feedback I received from him was that the job is very physically demanding. And if this is coming from a person who is completely healthy, young male, and I'm in my 50s and survived three aneurysms and a stroke, then that just is proof to me that yes, this job is physically demanding. And there was also an incident there where there was a young lady who you could tell had a long history of medical problems who ended up having a seizure. And what bothered me about that entire situation is that they convinced this woman to go home. That was just my supervisor. Um, they convinced this woman to go home after her seizure. It also appeared that she was also um, having some stroke-like symptoms. Her speech was very slurred. There was some drooping. Um, but she kept saying no, 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 no. And the people around her kept convincing her you're going to be okay. Let's just do what we did before. She had admitted that she had left the hospital after being under observation for a few days. And um, to have this seizure after being under observation is, is pretty significant. And I, I made an attempt to try to convince her to go see a doctor. But she was more focused on what she would look like going out of the women's locker room in a wheelchair, being escorted by EMTs. And she kept saying that it's going to subside, it's going to subside, it's going to go away. And I'm hoping that it eventually did. Because I asked what happened to her because I had to go to and start my shift. When I came back and asked what happened to her, they said that she left in a in an Uber. So uh, I continued my shift. And when I got in the elevator, I just said a prayer for her out loud. 
and I'm hoping that she's okay. I don't know if I'll ever see her again, although I will ask my coworkers if she has ever returned. But I, the thing that really concerned me is that we're always trying to convince people that they are okay. One thing I know that um, I have the ability to always pretend that I'm okay. I even did that when I had my aneurysms rupture in my brain because I passed out. And I tried to get up and be all strong and be like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Although I felt like there was um, like two cinder blocks like weighing me down and I was drowning. And I could have been drowning from the brain bleed. And they rushed me to the hospital and ended up saving my life. But had they listened to me and been like, oh, I'm strong, I'm okay, I'm okay, I would probably be dead. And I just hate the fact that we're always trying to convince women that they are okay. When it comes to holding down a job, when it comes to raising our kids, when it comes to, you know, you know, some women will go to school, some women will work, some women will raise kids, you know, completely support a family, support their spouses, and we're always okay. We always have to pretend that everything is all right. And I'm hoping for this woman's sake that She's okay because I finally put my foot down and I said to my employer, I'm not okay. If I continue to do this amount of work at this pace, I'm going to end up going backwards in my rehabilitation and I'm going to end up hurting some myself. I'm going to end up hurting someone else and I kept talking to my supervisor about it talking email after email after email and they would not listen to me so finally I just went to the doctor went for my checkup went to see my neurologist and they told me that you have you cannot work these hours any longer and they gave me a note So I took the doctor's note to my job and I finally started working my new shift. And I knew that it would happen immediately. And I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready because um, I had just finished my week of working nights. Um, I didn't have any clean uniforms. Um... Of course, I had to get my sleep schedule back in order. And also, um, there was daylight savings time. I think we leapt forward. I think we gained an hour. But all of those things played, all happened at the same time. So I ended up going to work that first day. You know, I had an early shift. I didn't care. I got out of bed, which because I, I think I had an hour of sleep. 
and didn't even take a shower. Just did my hair, put on clothes that was not my uniform because I didn't have anything that was clean. My clothes, I usually take them to the laundromat and let them do it because it takes me so long to do it. So I let them do it. So I just went to work that first day and I can tell that people were not happy with me because of course now I'm on the new shift. Now I was, I'm that person who couldn't handle nights. You know, because when you look at me, unless you're like staring at me, I'm moving so fast that you can't see my deficiencies because I'm moving as fast as I can. But if you actually watch me and everything you do at the job at this job is with your hands so if you actually watch my hands you'll notice that I don't do things as easily I can't fold as easily I can't you know ring out a mop as easily I can't open doors as easily I can't hold things with like a lot of times I have to hold things with my right hand and use my left hand, which is my affected arm, to open doors, which is a struggle. So unless you're actually sitting there watching me, you really don't see. I'm not that woman who had the who had the seizure. Because you can, as soon as you talk to her, you can see her disabilities. You can you can see it right away. For me, you have to watch me. You have to really observe me. If you look at me for two seconds, you're not going to see it. Because I'm usually spending that two seconds pretending that nothing is wrong. And then when no one is watching, you you see the struggle that I go through. And that's me just hiding my disability because I don't like people to know that something is wrong. So I just wanted to really jump on here and talk about Women, how we're always always expected to be okay. And I'm tired of people convincing women that we are okay. Because there are times that we're not. Sometimes we are okay, but sometimes we're not. So stop trying to convince us that we are okay when we are not. And I'm glad that my boss was able to finally get me on a shift where I will be okay. So now I just have to wait it out of people being upset with me because they had to move to a shift that's more difficult to make up for me not being there. And just like everything else, people will get over it. You know, they'll stop being mad. I'm not even going to try and make things better. I'm just going to go to work and do what I'm being paid for. And um, how you feel about me and how someone feels about me is what matters is that I get the job done. And what matters is that I get the job done and not cause any further damage to myself because I'm sitting here trying to change the perception of who I am. I'm a person who went through three ruptured aneurysms and had a stroke. I'm a person who still has trouble expressing themselves. 
verbally. I'm a person who has trouble completing tasks physically. I'm a person who it may take you a minute to 30 seconds to finish something, which may take me five minutes to 10 minutes to complete. I'm still that person. I'm the person who has to take their name name tag home because I can't just put my name tag on my shirt in under five seconds. It takes me a few minutes to hold that magnet and put my nameplate on top of the magnet for it to stay because it keeps dropping out of my hand. And then I'm pretty much doing a lot of what I'm doing with one hand. And I'm using my affected arm as a guide. So I'm that person who takes a lot longer to do things. And if you can't understand that, then I'm sorry. If you can, then thank you. But stop trying to convince me that I'm okay. Or stop judging me based on what you see for 10 seconds. Because I'm going to give you 10 good seconds. But always remember that there's all that other time where it's not so good. Though that's the time I'm trying to hide. So I just pray that that woman is okay. I pray that I get to see her again. I'm sorry that I was so um, passionate about her going to the doctor. I really wish she would have gone. And I hope that. She spoke to her doctor and told them what happened. Because I remember when I had a seizure after getting out of being observed in rehabilitation. And when I told my neurologist that I had a seizure, she was so mad at me that I didn't go to the emergency room because she said I could have died. She said, when you have major... Setbacks like that, you have to go and see a doctor. So now for me, it's like second nature. I don't care what anyone tells me. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I'm going to go to the doctor. And I'm going to be able, I'm going to make sure that I tell them what's happening to me. So I can get a professional opinion and let God work through that doctor to get me better. And I'm not going to be all strong and proud and be like, oh, I don't need a doctor. I don't need help. I need help. So if you listen to this, thank you. Um, I hope you have a better understanding of what it's like. And please stop convincing people not to go to the doctor and not to get help. And it's not just with your physical hardships. Is with mental health. If you need to speak to someone with counseling, please go see a counselor. We are not that strong. A doctor will give us the tools and a counselor will give us the tools. The psychiatrist will give us the tools to add to our tool belt so we can be better physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The same way a reverend will give you the tools you need to be a better steward of God.
we have to reach out and we have to help each other and we have to keep we have to stop convincing each other that we are strong because everyone needs somebody and i'm just hoping that this podcast is something that i can do to help someone who needs me and i thank you for listening and god bless you and please take care of yourselves and please take care of each other I feel like I'm living this life um, in in between land, in between the land. I'm caught in the middle of being um, physically strong and uh, physically able to do a lot of things. That's where I came from. And now I'm living where... I'm not able to do those things with the ease. And um, I mean, it's also my age. I mean, I'm getting in my 50s. Well, I am in my 50s. But I, I know that if I had not had this stroke, I would be that 50-year-old strong, just woman. And I'm in in between because I have the heart of a lion, but the body of a cub. And I think that what keeps me going and what keeps me motivated and happy when I'm performing the duties at the job or just being out in public is the the heart of a cub that part of me makes everything um joyous and just being able to do to get it done no matter how long you're you're happy because your 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 young heart um is replacing your 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 young physical abilities and strength you have to compensate for that loss with the heart and i think that that's the reason why there are times where people will see me singing or dancing while i'm cleaning uh elliptical or a treadmill or because I'm happy I mean I know that if I was prior to my stroke this is something that I could do with ease but my my cub is telling me that you're still here you're still you still have a purpose. But I think once we die, um, our purpose um, ends. We have a different purpose of trying to get into the kingdom of heaven and serving God. And that's the things that you have to do while you're still alive. And I think that's the cub in me. 
you know, although I have the physical capability of someone who's much older, if you can um, give my physical strength and age, I would give it mm, mm, like 70. But if you gave that, if you aged my heart, my heart is so new because of what has happened to me and because everything that's happened to me um, is strengthening my relationship with God. So I would say that my the age of my heart is, I would say, at 12. Because I just see things as a 12-year-old, a not as an adult, but as a, a child that was changing into becoming a woman. And I think that that happens between the ages of 12 and 18. So because everything is so new to me, I think I'm at 12 when it comes to my heart. But my physical age, I would say, was about 70. And that's just from watching my mother. And she struggles with some things physically. I mean, she has some ailments, but not like mine. Um, so we have a lot of this, this. A lot of our medical history is similar. So I see myself. If you're just, let's say if you had, if it were just recording me and recording my physical duties, I think you can compare them to someone who's in good health at the age of 70. And it doesn't matter, that part doesn't matter. What part is, that matters is that my heart is 12. You know, I'm still growing and learning and I think the closer I get to God the more knowledgeable I become some people think like getting a degree oh I got five degrees I got whatever who cares I mean if your emotional well-being with God is not intact then whatever degrees you have or how much money you make, it doesn't matter. You're never going to be truly happy. So that's how I feel like I'm in, in between land because I'm growing through this process and I'm getting stronger. Um, like I said, 70, I hope next year I'll cut off 10 years and be have the physical capabilities of a 60 year old and I, I just hope the older I get the stronger I get and the more my nerves connect to my brain and my muscles begin to become more normal I just hope to be able to the messages that I send to my brain, from my brain to my arm, um, are more fluid, because everything is broken. It's like it's like a 
if you ever had a record and you know you get that record that skips sometimes in one space and just keeps skipping and you guys gotta keep trying and trying and it keeps trying to play and trying to play that's what it feels like to have this disability like my body keeps trying and trying and trying but it's never very smooth it's always that bump in the road so i think as that's why i'm happy i'm back to work because um it's creating new new pathways and I hope to get to the point where I can actually do 40 hours of physical labor more smoothly. You know, of course, I'm still going to age. So um, as I get older, as long as I stay in, in physical shape, um, in, in good shape and keep my weight down, um, I still have the possibility of being stronger than I ever was. So that's the reason why I really like this job is because I get to go to the gym and be able to work on my hand and get in my arm and shoulder stronger where it's not. I just wanted to get to the point where when I do a movement that it doesn't hurt. You know, I get that pain. You know, it's almost like, you know, you're putting your hand to a flame and you feel the flame and you jump back and pull away. That's what the pain is for me when I try to do, put my arm, my hand in a certain position. I'll get that, that reminder, that pain to remind me that, you know, you can't go that far, you know. Bring your arm down, relax your arm, relax your hand. It's my alarm, you know, so whenever, think of it, when if you're trying to touch a hot flame, what your alarm is so you don't get burned. So that's for me is how I deal with the movements. I can't go too far in certain movements or else I'm going to end up getting burned. And that's pain. So I feel like I'm in between land where I'm I'm getting better, but I'm still not I'm not there yet. It's your heart wants to be somewhere where your body cannot physically be. So I think as long as I keep my heart in that place then the physical will come next. And I think as time goes by, um, I'll get stronger. And I hope to be like those women I see in their 70s and they're just in this physical fitness, and which has always been my dream is to be in my 70s and be able to do some of the. And I think I'll get there. I think it's going to take me a minute. It's going to take me a few years to get stronger. But I think with this job, um, it helps me progress. I, I think that all survivors, although it's such a process to go back to work, I think all survivors should give it a chance because 
you're creating new pathways in your brain and it, the only thing it's going to do is help you get better. Mm, so after that year that the state gives you, um, try to go back to work, even if it's like a couple of days or a few hours, even if you volunteer. I tried to volunteer for a long time, but no one would take me. Um, I think that would have helped me. And that's when I was trying to get into the the, the animal shelters. I wanted to, you know, whether it be scooping out, you know, litter boxes, you know, but a lot of shelters turned me down. Um, I tried to do things with um, um, working with um, people in crisis, but they turned me down because I couldn't multitask, like taking all the information and typing it. I can't type at all. And I would have to be proficient with one hand, which I'm not fast enough in order to take that information. So I understood being um, rejected by a crisis hotline because I wasn't, you know, you have to be more fluid and multitasking when you're dealing with someone in crisis. But I felt like I could have worked in the animal shelter, although handling a lot of stuff would have been difficult for me. But I just think that if you can find something, um, whether it be um, donating your time, do that. If you can't find a job, you know, if you can volunteer is the word, do that. But do something if because if you've had brain injuries you have to I have to keep creating new pathways so the neurological part that I struggle with will will heal so I, I would suggest like you know stop living in in between where you're not getting better because I was not working for a while and I just stayed in that in between and for me that was depression. Figure out a way to interact and get that brain moving. So it's just weird living in the in-between, but I'm I'm happy in my heart and my desire to get closer to God. And I think that's what's making my heart grow is the connections that I make with God. And I understand a lot of people are not, you know, don't follow God, but um. If, you, if an opportunity comes your way where it's presented to you, I would suggest um, taking a chance with God. I would highly suggest it. It's changed my life, and I'm happier because of it. And a lot of people who have strokes, and after a couple of years, are not, are not, mentally happy emotionally happy and I think I'm emotionally and mentally strong I may not be physically strong but I'm strong with my mental health and I'm strong with my emotional health and I'm strong with my relationship with God so I'm strong like if I was strong physically I would be I would be um 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 what's, what's, what's the name? like 
I would be um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I would be like the new Shaq. You see Shaq with his videos, Shaquille O'Neal with his videos, how big and strong he is. That's that's my faith. My faith is big and strong. So if you're listening, thank you again. And God bless and have a blessed evening. So I've been meaning to do this podcast for a little while now. Um, I've talked about um, in this episode, I've talked about how women are always expected to be strong. And I talked about the in-between, being in-between of being who you once was and being who you are now. And uh, today I wanted to discuss uh, the day after. Because for me, the day after happened on two occasions. My first day after was back in 2011 when I had two aneurysms rupture in my brain. And I woke up the next day and from what the doctors told me um, that I woke up kicking and screaming and enraged and angry and telling the person that I was with at the time to get out of the room that I didn't want to see their face. So I pretty much woke up being angry. Um, and which is, of course, the person I was with remembers, the doctors remember, but I don't remember any of that happening. What I remember is waking up to um, asking for a mirror and, and seeing that there was um, 54 staples in my head and uh, uh, a rod um, screwed into my skull attached with these two um, like beakers, but made of plastic that was were filling with um, blood and brain matter and tubes coming out of my brain. That's the first picture that I, I remember seeing. And I was just so confused because the day before, I, it took me a while to remember the events, but... um. I just remember being so confused and not understanding why they had to crack open my skull to save my life. Um, and it's just part of what happens when you it could be a possibility of what could occur if you don't if you don't take care of your high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and distress in your life. The end result could be aneurysms and to the point where they rupture, which is what happened to me. So I just remember being in a very confused space. And I remember like all of my officer friends coming to see me. You know, coming to visit me in the hospital. 
and my family coming to visit me. But, um, uh, um, it was just, it's, it's a feeling that you can't describe. I mean, I, I was, I believe I was 41 when that happened. So I was still, I was still in great shape. I was still, you know, I wasn't overweight. I was just, you know, sad and and stressed. And uh, that's I've, all the things that led to my rupture. So I'm... Um, I just couldn't understand that I was it was always asking why me why me why did this happen to me and you you never get the answers to the why because only God has those answers but if you don't take care of yourselves and don't go to the doctor you never know what path you could be walking down when it comes to your health so I was in the ICU for three weeks, for three weeks, and um, I had to hear people around me die when you hear the monitors and then you just hear the monitor flatline. And I think that the time that was there, there was about three or four people who passed away from the exact same thing. And um, I just remember going through the process of not of trying to learn how to walk and eating and you know grooming. A lot of that stuff had to be done for me. But after three weeks, um, I, I was leaving the hospital. I didn't have to go to a rehab facility. Um, they released me to go home, which was pretty remarkable. Uh, so I, I remember I have those memories. It took me about two years to get back to where I was. And... I was better than ever. Um, I was in great shape. But I still had that third aneurysm that was lurking. And I remember living in Texas and I was getting scans regularly. And um, they would always tell me, oh, no, we don't see anything. We don't see anything. We don't see anything. What I, it was there, but it just wasn't growing. Not until I got to California when the stress increased. And um, my life got very complicated. And then I started to feel, when you have high blood pressure, you'll feel it in your head, in your back, in your neck, your eyes. Sometimes your vision will come and go. I mean, I remember after my stroke, I remember 
um, my losing my vision in my left eye completely. And that happened for about two minutes. But um, I ended up getting better. You know, it was when I came with California, they found the aneurysm, the third one that I always knew was there. But I had once celebrated that it was gone, and it wasn't. It was just that they couldn't see it because that's how small it was. And it got big enough to the point where they were actually able to see it on a scan. So I was like, okay, let me just get this repaired, which is the reason why I had my coiling procedure. And um, to get it repaired so I don't have to worry about it anymore. And during that coiling procedure... At the very end, when they took out the tubes out of my mouth, they said that's when I had the stroke. And they had to re-intubate me and save my life. So the next day after that, I woke up. And um, this time, it wasn't the staples. This time, it it wasn't the rod. It wasn't the bags of fluid it wasn't the tubes that I saw this time I didn't need to look in a mirror to see what was different because this time it was my whole left side of my body was paralyzed I couldn't lift my leg I couldn't lift my arm I still had drooping on the left side of my face And the first time they put me, actually before that, I spent three weeks in ICU in California. And it was horrible. Um, The people were so mean and inconsiderate and they would always play loud music. Um, And I needed my rest and you always, always hear them talking and fraternizing with each other. It was it was horrible. You know, it was the worst three weeks that I ever spent in ICU. You know, regardless, I mean, even if I was going went through recovering from my stroke, the staff there added to it by making my stay there miserable. So I I actually complained so much that they immediately found a bed for me and sent me to the rehab facility in Vallejo, which I spent six weeks there going through my rehabilitation. So the next day after my stroke, I had to see the fact that I was another another version of myself, a, a third version. No rods, no staples, paralysis. Um, I had to learn how to speak. I had to learn how to use the bathroom. I had to learn how to walk. So a lot of confusion. I was also going through a lot of bad things and, and trying to get you know, answers to those bad things that I was going through in my personal life on top of trying to recover 
from my stroke. So it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot to deal with. Um, a lot of time was spent having a broken heart and knowing that I will never be the person. Because now here I here I am, fifty, and happen. This is happening all over again. It's not when I was younger, 10 years prior, 11 years prior, where my body was able to recover. This time, it's taken a long time to recover. So the day after is probably one of the most difficult for any stroke survivor. You know, I see some stroke survivors who are, pretty um they're they're going through things that are much more um serious than I am but you can't compare your re rehabilitation to someone else's everybody's path is different but you can't help but look at them and be like wow you know that could be me and then in some ways they're looking at you and they're saying wow that could be them. So you can't compare one to another. Everything is different. But I'm left this time, being that I'm older and it's taken longer for me to heal, I'm left with a lot of things that are confusing, that are, makes me sad. Um, last night I went to the... CQ3 um, um, anniversary concert at the Apollo. And some people have recognized me from my Instagram. Some people I you know said hello to from their Instagram that I recognize. What? And I spoke to my friend about this. I was like, do you ever get to the point where you don't want to go to these events anymore. And she was like, no, I love it because I'm meeting new people. And for me, that's the exact reason why I don't want to go to these events anymore because I feel like I'm in a very um, socially awkward place where, you know, a lot of times it's hard for me to express myself and I have to struggle with everything I do from, you know, making sure I'm careful walking up and down stairs to, you know, if I buy something to drink, I have to be very careful. I mean, anytime I buy anything to drink, whatever, it's always on the floor. Somehow, you know, people would want to get up and get up and move and get out and just go. Everything is up and down, up and down, up and down. And I don't move fast enough for people. And sometimes my left arm will get stuck in a position where I can't move out of their way. And people may take it as I'm being rude or, or, I'm, um, or I'm like, something's wrong with me. Like I, maybe I have mental health issues. And I'm like, no, I just can't. I can't physically and with fluidity move with quickness and grace as you know, people do like take for granted. 
You know, so I struggle with everything. When I use the bathroom, I suggest no one go after me because I have timed myself in using the restroom. And it takes me about, um, from start to finish, it would take me between seven and ten minutes just to use the restroom. And that's just to go potty. Regular potty, nothing not number two, just using the restroom. It takes seven to ten minutes. So um, if you have to use the restroom, you have to go really bad. If you see me, I suggest you go to another restroom because it's going to take me a while. You know, just get into my seat and, you know, setting everything down and just make sure I have to always reorganize anything that I have so I don't lose anything. I have to think about every single step that I take. I have to plan it out. And for me, that is the reason why I feel so socially awkward. And I also notice my vision. Um, I think this has to do with my brain injury, but my, I'm constantly looking. My, my, my vision is constantly seeking something to give it my brain stimulation. So, I mean, I could be looking and staring at something and, and don't want to be looking or staring at something. And I have to tell, tell my brain to look away. And that, that can be um, strange for people who don't understand, like, because people don't have to tell their brain to look away. They don't get stuck. I get like a fog. I go through this 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 brain fog where one minute I could be completely um, enamored by what you're saying to me. And the next minute I could, it will seem like I don't hear a word you're saying. Like I don't. It's like you stopped talking and here I am looking at you and you're probably looking at me like, why are you still looking at me? I'm done with my sentence and I'm sitting there. I didn't figure it out yet out yet because I stopped like my brain got stuck. It's like like that skip button, like like a not skip, but when you have a scratch in your record, you know, is that, you know, yeah, my brain is, I don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it does that. I don't know why I get these, these clouds and I get confused a lot. Um, yesterday on my way home, I got on the wrong train and I ended up going uptown and I had to come back, come back downtown. So I left at the end of the evening, probably left at like 1 a.m. And I didn't get home until 3 a.m. And I think I saw people, uh, some young ladies that were probably went to the after party, stayed at the entire after party, and I ended up seeing them on my same train. <laughs> That's how long it took me to get home because of I got confused. And that's not good, especially not in New York City. 
it's not good to get confused on the subway because there's a lot of things that can happen to you that's not safe. So my day after, his, it still feels like the day after because I'm still not healed in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm still going through my, my motor skills. You know, my physical abilities is still not fluid. Fluid and easy. Everything is a struggle. My speech, you can still hear that my speech, my speech was a lot more clearer than it is now. So I'm still, you know, dealing with the day after and dealing with the fact that I'm, um, I'm still, you know, why me? And that's the reason why I like to keep myself, like, I like to keep to myself. I think that, you know, people, ex you know, the system expects you to, to be off of short-term disability um, in a year. And then that's when they put, you have to switch to long-term disability. And that's when you have to go through all the red tape and go through all the BS. But what about the, the rehabilitation for your cognitive abilities? For your, um, your, your emotional health and your, your social, you know, being able to socially interact with people. They don't give you any time to recover from that. And I don't think I'm anywhere near recovering from that. I'm not recovered from that. You know, I would rather just hang out with my cat than to deal with, you know, dealing with people on a social level because I'm being socially awkward um, because of a uh, disability is different than being socially awkward because you're shy. It's two different things. So I think that this the this government that causes all these problems, and like I said, if I didn't have my family, or I would I would be homeless because the system is not built for people who go through medical emergencies or economical emergencies or anyone who hits the wall. That wall that God talks about when you when you like down at the bottom you feel like there's no place else to go you know and you have to figure out a way how to you know get back your life you hit a wall you're at the end of your rope this system is not built for people who are who are at the end of the rope they'd rather leave you behind and they'd rather um to be quite frank they i think they would rather you be dead it's easier to deal with you if you're dead than to deal with you, you know, to deal with you when it comes to, like, with society or, you know, with government assistance. They would rather you figure it out yourself or die. So um, I'm just trying to figure out what my path is and where God wants me to go and I know God just wants me to focus on myself. That's the reason why I spend so much time alone. 
because I need to repair whatever it is I need to fix mentally, um, physically, emotionally, socially. And um, it's going to take time. And I think using this podcast helps me. It helps me with my speech. It helps me gain clarity. You know, it gives me direction. I'm happy I have my job, but... I now understand why I was so scared to go back to work. Because people are human and a lot of human beings out there are not nice. And unless they sit down and hear your story from beginning to end, then they don't know how to treat you. Because they don't know about you. So that's the reason why you have to just when it comes to dealing with anyone, treat everyone the same. Treat everyone as if we all need help. Be kind. Be generous. Be kind. Be helpful. Just be, you know, a child of God. Don't expect people to be as fast as you are, to be as strong as you are, to be as smart as you are, to be as put together as you are. Just be kind. So, yeah, am I done with these kind of functions? More than likely. Although I love music, I just don't like the social part of it. You know, I would just... Rather just listen to music on my own and just enjoy the music and dance. And well, I still got my two step. <laughs> so um, the day after, I don't think that day after is ever going to change. I mean, it may the visuals are changing, but the emotional and mental aspect of it, that's going to take a long time for that to change and get better. So, um, I just wanted to talk about the day after. And so, again, if you listen to this entire podcast, um, thank you. And God bless. It's just, just thought I'd jump on here and talk about the day after. And just keep working and make your day after better, which is what I'm doing. I'm not going to give up on my day after because I want my day after to change, to become brighter. I want to be more of a light. So God bless and have a wonderful day and thank you for listening.